Well, we have a privilege of uh, having someone old, but someone who's new as well uh, to speak to us this morning. And Kervin, I'm sorry, I don't mean old as an age. <laughs> what I mean is Kervin has been on staff and a part of Center Street Church for many, many years. He's familiar to so many of us, so many of you. Uh, he and his wife still have Center Street Church as their home church. However, a number of years ago, Kervin stepped into a role as president of our Center Street Church denomination, the denomination that we are a part of. And so he, along with the team, leads uh, Center Street Church and churches across Canada, about 140 or so churches. Um, when Kervin stepped into that role, we as a church, we blessed him, we commissioned him, we prayed for him to serve in that role. And we're so glad that he is here today. So Kervin, come on up. He's uh, going to speak to us and share with us uh, from God's word this morning. And what you need to know about Kervin is uh, he's just a man of prayer. And uh, a quick response if you're around him is going to God in prayer, seeking the heart of God, hearing what God has to say first, and then acting. He'll, great husband, great dad, loves his kids, grandkids. And uh, I believe that God wants to say something to us as a church, us individually. But as we step into this week of prayer and fasting, um, we want to hear what God has to say through him and through his word. So let's pray right now. So God, we come to you. We ask that you would speak. Speak to us through your word, your text, your words to us. Speak to us through Kervin this morning. He's been preparing, he's been praying, he's been seeking after you, God, and what you want to say to us. So speak through him, God, and give us the courage and the boldness to respond to what you want to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we just welcome Kervin this morning? Well, at least he didn't say ancient one. It's my privilege and joy to be here in this pulpit to bring God's word to you today. And I want to say a word about Kent. I appreciate the spirit of Kent, for he carries a love and a passion for God and for you, the people of God. And you can tell by the way he prays and prepares himself. You are blessed to have him as your senior executive pastor. And I can't make reference that uh, you all commissioned me and sent me out, and I appreciate that very much working with Henry for 20 years. So much of who I am is because of his influence in my life and the time that I spent among you as God's people. So I have the joy of traveling across Canada and seeding into the church that which God wants to bring alive. God wants to bring new things and fresh things alive in the small and medium and large and extra large churches across Canada. One of those seeds that he's asked me to plant is the seed of discipling, to imitate the life of Christ who came to raise up men and women, to raise up the church, to be what the world needs the church to be. And so in our denomination, uh, this past year we have seen 23 pastors representing 23 congregations and hundreds of people across 23 different communities in Canada who are being discipled in the ways of Jesus in a fresh way. 
where they're coming to understand the plan and purpose of Jesus for their church to become a discipling church. And so lives are being transformed because of Jesus. We ought to feel a level of pride by being part of the Evangelical Missionary Church of Canada, for we are committed to following Jesus together, to keep him at the center of our churches, to be people of the word, to people who exist for the purpose of helping others to come to know Jesus. I'm so grateful for Center Street Church and its involvement in the life of our denomination through financially investing of the cause of the denomination and by participating in the variety of events that we sponsor from time to time. And, just, and then just for being you. Wherever I go, I have the joy of celebrating what God is doing here. For what you do is bathed in prayer, and it's done always with excellence. So we give thanks to God. I give thanks to God for Center Street Church. If you have your Bibles with you uh, today, invite you to turn to John chapter 15. We're going to walk around in that passage of Scripture for the next 30 minutes or so. Those of you that are here in this room where I'm standing, and those of you on the other campuses as well, will be walking through John chapter 15. And so when I was uh, sleeping about a year ago, uh, a dream showed up in my life. And I'm not much of a dreamer, but when they come, those dreams are very real for me. This was a particular dream where I saw myself standing in the showroom of heaven. Standing in the middle of that room with bright light shining all around me, similar to what you might see in a showroom where automobiles are being shown. There I was standing in the middle of the showroom of heaven with spotlights shining down on me similar to what are here. And as I stood in the middle of that showroom, I came to realize that the focal point was on me. And then I heard a voice. And the voice said to me in my dream, Hey, everybody, come and look at my son. I love him so much, and I'm so proud of him. And God, my heavenly Father, went on to speak out loud to me about the qualities that he saw in my life that he was proud of. And as he was speaking, the showroom of heaven began to fill up with the angels of heaven as they listened to the Father speak about me, his son. What an impossible dream that might be for you to envision yourself as being worthy to be in the showroom of heaven. Can you imagine yourself being the focal point like that? Can you imagine the voice of your heavenly Father speaking out words that are filled with his pride for what he sees in you? Or is that just too impossible for you to believe that God would ever celebrate you like that? I think the word impossible is the word which describes how most of us feel about a dream like that. But the truth is that you and I 
are already qualified to be in the showroom of heaven. You see, it's not our performance that qualifies us to be there. It's our relationship with Jesus Christ as our Savior which qualifies you and me to be present with God in his showroom. You see, you are a much-loved child of God, and it was his pleasure, the Bible tells us, to adopt you into his family. And as his beloved child, God is proud of who you are and of who you are becoming. But more than that, he wants you to know of his intentions for you. Listen to what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. The scripture says that all who follow Jesus are being transformed into the image of Jesus with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord Jesus, who is the Spirit. Jesus wants you to know that you are qualified for the showroom of heaven. Now, I think showrooms are fascinating places to be. I'd like you to envision a showroom that you might have been in recently. It might be a jewelry store, a department store, a toy store, a candy shop, or an ice cream shop, perhaps a bookstore or a coffee shop, a dealership where cars are sold or trucks or farm implements or RVs, any place where stuff is on display. Now think about what happens to you when you're in the showroom. If you're like me, my emotions begin to change. And my thoughts begin to change. Because what's on display in the showroom is there for a purpose. It's there to entice us to want what we're looking at. You are a showroom of sorts. That is why you looked in the mirror today before you left your house. You knew that your life would be on display in front of the people that you would bump into or sit beside. That's why we work at making a good first impression on those that we meet. We are a showroom of sorts. That's why we clean our homes before company comes over. Our homes are on display. Our lifestyle is on display. And we intuitively know that our lives are like a showroom. You are a showroom. Jesus understood this principle really well, for he knew that his life was a showroom. The Bible says that he came into this world as Emmanuel, God, with us, to reveal the heart of the Father to us through his life and through his teaching. Jesus said, come, follow me, and I will make you into somebody beautiful. And Jesus said, now that you have seen me do what I have done, you go and do the same. Imitate me. Take my yoke upon you, Jesus said once, and learn of me. Jesus understood that his life was on display for a purpose, that he was a showroom of the glory and goodness of God. And so in John chapter 15, verse 8, Jesus' life was coming to an end, and he began to speak of the things that were especially important for his disciples then and his disciples today to hear. He used turning point language 
to turn the showroom spotlight away from his life to ours. And this is what he said. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Well, in order to understand Jesus' invitation to really appreciate that we are showroom people, we must understand by what he meant when he said, when he spoke about the Father's glory. Well, the word glory in the original languages of the Bible carried two meanings. The first meaning is that of reputation. The glory is about the reputation of, of God for being a God of overwhelming goodness, beauty, and strength. He is a God, therefore, who is worthy of respect and honor. The imagery that's captured in this metaphor is like a king or a queen that might step into this room. And we would then, upon the entrance of the king or queen, instantly we would rise out of respect for what the king or the queen represents, their reputation. And Jesus spoke of the Father's glory. He wants us to remember that the showroom of your life is about advancing and representing the reputation of God to people in your world. And the second meaning of the word glory is radiance. The man named Moses in the Bible experienced the radiance of God's glory on Mount Sinai. It was after all that he experienced in Egypt through the miraculous deliverance of Israel from Pharaoh's bondage, bondages, after all his personal encounters on Mount Sinai and in the tent of meeting with God, that Moses cried out to God, now show me your glory. The Hebrew word for glory meant in this case, show me your radiance, as in the brilliant splendor of lightning. You might have experienced a lightning storm. Well, perhaps you think back to this fall, September, this past September, October, when for about 10 minutes one midnight, the sky over Calgary was lit up with thunderbolts of lightning and sheet lightning, illuminating everything in our neighborhoods. That's the image that the word glory carries here with Moses. Well, the story went on with, between Moses and God, and God said, well, I can't show you my glory, because if you do, you will certainly die, like as if he was, would be struck by lightning. But God said, I'm going to give you a glimpse of my glory. And when God did, God passed in front of him. Moses heard God speak out his name, the Lord, the Lord. And seven qualities of God, as if they were the DNA of his nature. When Moses came down from the mountain, the Bible says that his face was radiant with the splendor of the glory of God. And the people of God were astonished at what they saw. God gave Moses a gift that day, as he wants to give you and me a gift. God wants to touch you with his glory so that your life becomes radiantly beautiful with the presence of God. 
Well, living a life on display reveals both the reputation and the radiance of God's nature, including his goodness, his beauty, and his strength. What then does a radiant life look like for you? If we are to display God's glory, then what might we expect to see in one another? And how do I grow in my capacity to show off the reputation and the radiance of God? These are questions we're now going to explore as we look into John chapter 15. It was in the middle of that chapter that Jesus began to speak to us about showroom living. His words are, his wisdom is captured in three ideas. He said, this is to my Father's glory. That you show your, that you bear much fruit. And that you show yourselves to be my disciples. So Jesus said, this is to my Father's glory. The word this invites us to consider what is the this Jesus is referring to. Well, in the context of John chapter 15, we go back to verses 1 1 through 7. These things that I've just said are in reference to the glory of God. Well, in that particular section of Scripture, Jesus is drawing our attention to three characters that are involved in his teaching. God as the vine dresser, Jesus as the trunk, the main branch, and us as the branches attached to him. And I wonder, why did Jesus use the metaphor of the vine? Why didn't he speak about the oak trees that grow in Israel, or the olive trees, or perhaps the cypresses of Lebanon? Well, the reason is the vine needs much care and attention if it's going to be fruitful. Trees don't. They're hardy and strong. But vines need attention. Without a vine dresser's vigilance and diligent care, the vine will simply not bear the kind of fruit, the quality or quantity of fruit, to its full potential. Our vine dresser, God, provides that care over us. He is described here as cutting off every branch in us that does not bear fruit. Friends, this is not an act of cruelty. This is an act of care toward our greater fruitfulness. God as vine dresser has his eye on your future. And he does what is necessary to help you to become more fruitful. As vine dresser, God also takes care of the shoots which sprout where they ought not to be. Shoots, you see, sucker energy away from the fruit-bearing branches and thereby limit the quality and quantity of the fruit that the vine dresser expects to see at harvest time. And so it is that God looks at our lives to cut away and prune out everything that hinders us from radiating the glory of the DNA of his nature. As vine dresser, God prunes away attitudes that get in the way of us being and being seen and known as good and beautiful people. As vine dresser, God prunes away the decision-making tendencies that are just unwise and produce unfortunate outcomes for us and for people around us. 
As vine dresser, God prunes away thinking patterns that get us into trouble and even cause us to become grumblers and complainers, people who are ungrateful, who are discontented with life, who perhaps become negative, impossibility-thinking people. As vine dresser, God prunes away behaviors that are damaging to ourselves and others. And God prunes our relationships in such a way that they have opportunity to flourish. He prunes our spiritual habits and patterns that can be more about posing as fully devoted followers of Christ, but really we're not. He cuts back tendencies and behaviors which are about performance-based followership so that our energy will go into building an intimate relationship with Jesus. Well, pruning is only one aspect of becoming a person who reflects the glory of God. Jesus went on to speak of the importance of staying close to the trunk. Eight times, Jesus used the word abide in John 15, verses 1 through 7. Your Bible and other translations may use the word remain. So picking up on the vine metaphor, the vine dresser cuts off the cordon branches that are six feet out on either side of the trunk, keeping the energy of the plant focused and in close proximity to the trunk. You see, proximity to the trunk matters to the vine dresser. The closer to the trunk, the more fruitful the vine will be, and the more luscious and abundant the fruit becomes. Jesus said, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, I will abide in you. And then you can ask whatever you want and I will give it to you. What Jesus is portraying there is that relationship with him, proximity to him, is the most important thing for us as followers of Jesus Christ. The starting point for living a radiant life, displaying the glory of God, is, is having a desire to, to, for Jesus to show us more of himself, to speak to us, that we might listen and learn about him and learn from him. That is the longing of the heart of Jesus. And so Jesus speaks to us, and he wants to reveal more of us more of himself to us, of the way, the truth, and the life. And he wants to whisper secrets to you, secrets of his heart, that which he is most proud of when he looks into your inner being. And so followers of Jesus Christ, the single most important habit that we can engage in if we are going to increase our capacity to be the showroom of God's glory is to abide in the presence of Jesus. Jesus went on to say, this is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit. A few verses down, in verse 17, Jesus said, the kind of fruit that will last. Jesus' word here is to you as an individual, and it is to us as the church. The reputation of God is revealed in the fruit that we bear together. And Jesus was very explicit in the fruit that he expects to see in our lives and in the life of his church. He spoke of the fruit of love when he said, this is my command, that you love one another. Now what does the fruit of love look like? 
you might ask. Well, Jesus gives the answer. He said, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now you go and love others the way I loved you. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Dear follower of Christ, our Father longs to show up for us. He longs for us to experience His love in all its depth and height and breadth. To learn how to love others, we draw close to Jesus and we listen to His voice and we watch His life and then we go and love others the way He loved us. That kind of fruit, the fruit of love, is personal. It's a transforming love that sets us free from bondages and wounds and lies and performance-based thinking. Dear follower of Jesus, God our Father wants to set us free from everything that hinders us from being the showroom of His glorious love. Does all of this really matter? Does any of this matter in terms of experiencing the fruit of God's love? Well, God says, God's Word says, well, yes, it does. For sure it matters. In fact, the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 63, uh, 61, verse 3, that those who experience the love of God are like oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord, now hear this, for the display of His glory, His reputation, and His radiance. The imagery of the oak tree is useful here for us to appreciate the heart of God for your life. Oak trees in the land of Israel are beautiful trees. They're about 20 meters high and about 20 meters across. Their canopy is significant in that land. Israel is a very hot land. Shade is important. And people would go and find those oak trees and go and sit under the shade. It became a place of refuge for them, a place to connect with other people. I wonder, do you know people in your world who need a person of refuge, a safe place where they can go to talk, to be loved, to feel the goodness, the beauty, and the strength of God? And so we come to understand that if we're going to display the glory of God, then we must experience the healing presence of God's love and the consequent joy of being set free. And when we experience that, we become people of refuge, a showroom for the glory of God. And Jesus said, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And Jesus speaks here to the final practice that leads to showroom living. The word disciple means follower, one who listens and learns from another and imitates their life. Jesus reveals his expectations of his followers in John chapter 15, verses 13 through 17. There we find Jesus speaking out the word friend three times. Three times he speaks of us being a friend of his. Well, the original word here does not mean best friend. It's a different meaning. The word Jesus used here meant loyal ally friend. 
loyal ally friendship with Jesus is visible. If others do not see our love for God, it is not real to them. And so here is what showing yourself to be a disciple of Jesus looks like. And Jesus said loyal ally friendship with him is costly. Greater love is, or great love is shown in the constant laying down of one's life for others. That's what Jesus did. In fact, Jesus was a man who was described as being magnanimous in his expression of love. The word magnanimous comes from two Latin words, magnus meaning great and animus meaning soul. Jesus was a great-souled person. Webster defines magnanimous in this way. A generous and forgiving person who overlooks injury and insult, especially toward a rival person of lesser power. Jesus was a magnanimous person who loved people with great generosity and extended forgiveness to people in magnanimous ways. The radiance and reputation of God is revealed in our generosity and in our forgiving spirit and in the way that we love people in visible ways. And Jesus taught that loyal ally friendship with Jesus, with him, is about doing our duty. You are my disciples, Jesus said, if you obey my commands. The idea there in this image is that we are standing in front of Jesus like soldiers would stand in front of their commanding officer. And when the officer issues a command, what is the response of the soldier? To salute and to say, yes, sir, or yes, ma'am. Loyal ally friendship with Jesus is about doing our duty. And when we do our duty of obedience, the radiance and reputation of, his, of God is revealed. It's revealed every time we choose to say yes to God. And Jesus taught that loyal ally friendship is about doing the Father's business. Jesus said, I do not call you servants any longer. I'm giving you a promotion. I now call you loyal ally friends because you know the Father's business. This notion of the Father's business takes us back to the early days of Jesus' life when he was 12 years old. And he spoke out to his parents, do you not understand that I must be about the Father's business? And what is the Father's business? The Father's business is about being loving toward others just the way Jesus loved, loving people with magnanimity. Loyal ally friends of Jesus, he taught, are people of prayer. Whatever you ask in my name, Jesus said, the Father will give it to you, and it shall be done. Do you know what the secret to answered prayer is? The secret is in getting the order right. Sometimes we begin our prayers with asking. I think we begin our prayers far too often with asking. We get the bad case of the gimmies in prayer. 
Dear God, give me this, get me that. Do this for that person. Do that for my church. We begin at the wrong end of prayer. And Jesus said, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, then I will abide in you. That's about relationship with Jesus, staying connected to Jesus, being in close proximity to him. And he said, and then you can ask whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. We have to get the order right. Because when we learn to abide in the presence of Jesus, not just on our knees early in the morning or late at night or whenever you do that, but to learn to walk in the presence of Jesus every moment of every day. And that gets easier the longer you abide in the presence of Jesus. Because the fruit of his presence, the fruit of his glory, begins to change us from the inside out. And when we learn to abide in the presence of Jesus, something begins to happen to us. The desires of our hearts tend to come into alignment with the desire of his heart. And when we're in complete alignment, his desires, his longings, his yearnings, his heart cries, and ours. We pray in alignment with the desires of his heart, and stuff begins to happen in heaven processes are put in place to begin to answer our prayers. Loyal ally friendship with Jesus is about being people of prayer who learn to abide in his presence. I close with this. Yesterday my wife Joan and I were out in Kananaskis country and we are learning to cross-country ski. It's a beautiful experience being out in the mountains for us. The mountains remind us of the bigness of God. They're like a symbol for us. When I'm in the presence of God in the mountains, I say, oh God, you are bigger than all things. You dwarf everything, every problem, every difficulty, every circumstance, every difficult person every possibility, every opportunity, and I know you, and you know me, and you live inside of me, and you walk with me. So there we were, skiing up to the summit of this mountain. It took great effort for us. And when we got to the top of the mountain, there was a beautiful panoramic view of the Rockies with the sun, with the sun illuminating them with brilliance. And my wife says, Kervin, it was worth it. This idea of being the showroom of God is not about our effort so much. It is about the gift of God in giving us his glory and revealing his glory to us. And yet, we have a responsibility to choose to step into the presence of God, to abide in his presence. And there, the secrets of God are revealed to us. The Bible says that the secret things belong to God, but the revealed things belong to us and to our children. And so when we move into the presence of God to abide in his presence, however you do that, you can expect 
God to reveal himself to you, such as what Jonah and I experienced in the Rockies yesterday. And so here this church, your church, our church, has chosen on the first full weekend of this new decade to begin with an act of declaration. This act of declaration is that we need you, God. Our dependence is on you. It's about confessing our longings to him. Perhaps around the theme of this message this morning, that our longing is to experience your glory, that you would touch us in a new way, in a fresh way, so that our lives can represent your reputation and reflect the radiance of your glory. Perhaps your prayer this week will be for your church, for the churches across Canada. Canada needs churches like this. Churches that have stability. Churches that have a dedication to keeping Christ at the center. You are showroom of the glory of God. Imagine what can happen over this decade as we the people of God at Center Street Church take to heart these principles that we are the showroom of God's glory, our lives on display. I invite you now to bow your heads. As is our practice here, we extend our hands out in front of us toward heaven. If you feel comfortable doing that, please engage in that act. And we say to you now, Lord Jesus, please, would you speak to us personally about what you want us to, re- what you want us to remember as individuals? And then, oh Lord, please speak to me about what you want me to do with it this week, this year, and in the decade ahead. It is with all humility, O Lord God, and expectation that we extend our hands toward you. And we confess out loud today together that the longing of our heart is that the, your, your radiant beauty, your radiant goodness, your radiant, the radiance of your strength would become increasingly evident in our lives. And we thank you, Jesus, for qualifying us for being, the, being in the showroom. Oh, Jesus, you're so amazing. Thank you for being our example of how to live a life of love. We commit ourselves to learning from you and to imitating you, O oh Lord. And so we bless you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant, who brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, may he equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in you what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. If you have a need for prayer this morning, we invite you to come.
to come and receive prayer from those who care about you. Amen. Go in peace, and the God of peace go with you.